Maya, as we are taking a little break from the Gospel of Mark to 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning for our text, we're actually looking at an absolutely massive subject. And so we're going to be using several different texts. We're going to focus on one from 1 Peter chapter 4, what I call glorifying God. How do we do this all the time? It is a busy, busy time of the year. Um, I spend time, I listen, and we have um, people who just got married. Congratulations, Dan and Erica, a couple weeks ago. We have people getting married in the next couple weeks. We have kids graduating from, uh, from high school, from college. Just a lot of movement all over the place. You know, I think as well that it's very easy for us to get overwhelmed. And so what we do is we kind of race to something. We run somewhere to get a little reprieve, a little break, and it's not always something very healthy. It's not always something that's helpful. We can find ourselves running actually into even greater danger. When things get a little stressed, the way that I find that many people are, family is tough, marriage is tough. I had a reminder of that just this week on Thursday morning. I was walking into the garage to, to get into the Jeep and, and go to work. And, and, I, and I saw, I did not scream like a little girl, just to let you know, but I saw a mouse and it's in the garage and, and it kind of runs in. You know, there is like no way to look cool when you just see a mouse and it startles you kind of first thing in the morning. I saw it, it ran underneath the Jeep. And so what I'm thinking, I'm think like a mouse, okay? It's just trying to get outside into the beauty of creation. So I opened the door. I, I thought, you know, you probably, maybe it's already made its way. They're fast. Or, or the wood pile would hang out until things had quieted down and then he could head outside. And I, I did everything and really didn't give it a whole lot of thought. Um, um, and, and backed out, and, and when I came back in, I noticed, I saw the mouse again, but this time it was a little bit different looking. It looked more like an envelope. <laughs> Reason being is that of all the places, the wood pile, all of creation, he could have run, the door was open, he could just run out, enjoy all of creation. He thought the safe place to go was to hide underneath the right rear tire of my Jeep. Mr. Mouse, really? I had no intent to cause such harm. And, and you know, I think that we kind of do like, oh no, what to do? There's something out, it's not good. And so we race to something and what we oftentimes find ourselves doing is getting ourselves in a lot more trouble. Today, we're going to be looking at the subject. Again, as I told you, it is like massive, massive subject. The glory of God, glorifying God. How do we do this? How do we do this all the time? There is one, regardless of how busy, regardless of how hectic, there's one that we can always go to. And we will learn of this king of glory. Let's, let's first bow our, our heads and, and just pray together as I am always... Um, especially now just in constant reliance upon the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are so amazed at who you are. We thank you for your word that we now have open before us. And 
We have the presence of your spirit. Father, we get to, to be with your people on your day. We thank you, Lord, for this time. And I just pray that you would, you would go to work on hearts. Lord, that the focus would be on you and, and you alone. We, we are so amazed at your grace and your mercy for rescuing us, for redeeming us from our own, from our own selves, from our own sinfulness. Father, I just pray right now that um, you would please guard um, me from saying anything or doing anything that would not bring glory to, to, to you, that would not exalt the name of Jesus. I just pray for people that in this very moment, they're just stressed. Life's going a thousand miles an hour and it's one event after another and people are exhausted. And rather than, rather than running to dangerous places, help us to learn to run to you the one who is in complete sovereign reign and rule over everyone and everything. Lord, that is our prayer. May you speak to us and may your servants hear. We ask this in the precious and powerful name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Um, it's been a, a couple weeks. I was away. We visited uh, my mom and dad and in Florida for Mother's Day. It's amazing. Um, I was so blessed to listen to Matt McDermott uh, preaching the word with such power and conviction on Mother's Day. He compares moms to cows and somehow gets away with it. A mom actually told me, I don't know how, but it worked. Thank you, my brother. Uh, last week, we were so blessed, so blessed to have Craig and, and Shelley Schaefer here with us. Um, and, and I sat up front, let me, can I just commend you that you like come back to church each week? Like I don't normally get a chance just to sit and listen and it's like hard work down there. Like you guys got to really work. I'm like fidgeting and taking notes and looking for my water bottle and counting Tic Tacs in my pocket. Like you guys do amazing just to come and to listen. I commend you for that. But I did write something down that, that Craig said, and he said it fairly early on. He says this, and I love it, and I quote, It is the truth of the gospel that ignites the fire of the gospel in one's life. Wow, that like packages. We can sell that. It is the truth. It's understanding what God has done for us and rescuing us from ourselves. That God what, sent his own son to bear the weight of his heavenly father's full wrath to go to the cross, to die on our behalf, but be raised again so that in our faith, by grace, we're given the amazing gift of living a different life, of an eternal life. Recognizing, think about that, the gospel, the gospel is the reason for everything that we do. The, the gospel is the reason for every single thing that we say. Now, think about this, this opportunity. I love, like, Sundays. I, we get to be together and we slap one another on the back and shake hands and you hug one another. We sing together. I have the amazing privilege. I love to preach and to teach. And, and I love this. This is the church, but this is the church gathered on Sunday. Do you realize that this is not the church active on Monday to Saturday? Do you realize that? 
Like, like church is more than these like four walls and, and the leaky ceiling. I'm sorry, it's more than that. Church is active. We move constantly. We break our way out into the community and we share with them what this good news that we talk about. You've heard over and over and over again that we have a vision as a church of where we, where we envision ourselves going, a goal that we've set. Vision 2020, we build relationships so that God is glorified and lives, homes, and families are transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what we've done over the past couple of weeks is just come back to that. I've noticed it's very dangerous to assume anything. And I actually thought like, okay, build relationships. Well, okay, everyone knows how to do that. No, they don't. And so we, we went back and we looked like, how, like, how do we do this? And we went to the book of Philippians where Paul uses a perfect analogy in the relationship that he had with, with those believers in Philippi. In the way that you, you, what, you have people what, on your minds, you have people in your heart, and you have people in your prayers all the time. If we're going to build relationships, it can't be like, hey, how you doing, and move on. No, no, you carry others with you all the time. You rub shoulders with them, and you... Weep with those who weep. You rejoice with those who rejoice. It's going to take an investment. Paul taught us that. So we talk about, okay, if we're going to, as a church, be effective, we're going to take the gospel outside these four walls and we're going to be active in the community. We build relationships so that God is glorified. And we want to pause there today. That's our subject. So that God is glorified. You ever notice that we come upon these phrases that they are so like churchy? This is what we would call common religious lingo or jargon. Yeah, God is glorified. Glorify God. To God be the glory. And people have this phrase, this word, this thought kind of roll out of their mouth and through the lips without any thought about it and without any understanding of what it means that whatever we do, to do it for the glory of God. Now, this is something we sing about. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. One of the great hymns of all time. Page 257 in the hymn book somewhere, I'm sure. What a great song. We grew up singing that. We memorized 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It's written on the walls of our kids' classrooms in Sunday school. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. And it sounds really good. It's really churchy, but it's like, well, what what do you mean for the glory of God? I'm eating this donut for the glory of God. We learn about it. The very first question, some of you are familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What, What is the chief end of man? Like, why are we here? What is the chief end of man? Right out of the gate. It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We promote this saying, soli deo gloria. We write it on walls and people get it tattooed on their arms. To the glory of God alone. And so this is something that we hear all the time. Like, what is this? The concept of glory in Hebrew comes from the word halal. And it literally means this, or it translates to to glory in something means to shine or to praise or to boast 
or to use it in our language to glory in something means to brag about something. Now, isn't it interesting that you and I love to brag? Ask me anytime. I got 552 pictures of my little grandson. I'll show anyone him all the time. I want to brag about him. When I was a kid in school, I could run fast. As a matter of fact, I could run faster than anyone else. You line up on any line on any day, I'll line up against any person and I will beat you to that fence. I guarantee it. And I did. I bragged about it to everyone until Tony Belzer showed up. Do you realize there's always somebody faster? Tony loved to brag until the next kid shows up who beat him. Idea, the idea here, this word halal usually rendered praise or to shine on 16 occasions. It's rendered as glory in the sense of glory in his holy name, which means if you want to brag... Guess what? Find the only one who we rightfully and justifiably can brag about. Who's the fastest that's never going to be beat? Who's the biggest and the strongest and the smartest? And there's only one, the king of glory we brag about. We love to brag. You, You don't have to read through the Old Testament very far before you get the idea that God has glory. It's first mentioned Israel grumbling. People grumble. Can you believe that? Like really God's chosen people and they're fussing and fuming about something. Can you imagine that? Israel grumbling because they have no food. They're in the desert and they're hungry. They begin to grumble and they begin to whine and complain like if we were only back there, if we were only back in slavery. Remember the onions that we could like saute up? And remember the leeks that we had? Remember the amazing aromas? And we're out in the desert and we have nothing. In Exodus in chapter 16, verse 7, Moses promised, promised, He says, quit your grumbling. And he promises a miraculous provision of the Lord. And he says this in verse 7 of Exodus chapter 16. He says, in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord. Another translation says, in the morning, you will see evidence. So does God just reveal himself? Absolutely not. You know what he does is he drops manna down from heaven and he feeds the people that are fussing. We, we, we see all the way through, continue in the Old Testament evidence. God, God, God not only has glory, but we'll see that he is glorious. It's who he is. The psalmist David writes in Psalm chapter 29 that what? Calls him the God of glory. In Psalm 138, it says, for great is the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord appears so many times with such frequency, you realize it's more than just like an attribute. It's who he is. Craig was preaching last week. He referred to Isaiah chapter 6, which says what? The whole earth, the whole earth is filled with his glory. It's everywhere, it's everywhere. And every single manifestation of the glory of God 
grows dim by the time you get to the New Testament. In light of what? In light of the, the revealing of the one. What? The arrival of Jesus. The author of Hebrews says what? Calls Jesus the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint or the express image, express representation of his name. That there is one who comes and he will reflect the glory of his father in the same way that what? We as Christians are to reflect the image of Christ. That's what we do. Well, how do, like, how do we do this? Thomas Watson, the Puritan, in his book, A Body of Divinity, offers a commentary on 17 ways in which the Christian glorifies God. So I thought I'd have a 17-point message for you this morning. No, no, it's a joke. I got four, okay? How do we do this all of the time? Number one, okay, how do we, how do we glorify God all of the time? Number one, you need to be certain of who God is and what God has done. Number one, we've got to get this down. We've got, you've got to know this. Be certain of who God is. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 24. You can actually take all of Psalm 24. Literally, it's referred to as the, the Lord of glory. We don't have time to read it all, but Psalm 24 begins with verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell in it. Who is the king of glory? The author writes, and he answers the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And so we know who he is. It is the one sovereign ruler over everything and everyone. It all belongs to him. And then by the time you get to the Gospel of John in chapter 1 and verse 14, it says what? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what, what has this one king of glory done for us, but he has offered his own son to come. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. What we need to understand this is, is this, that knowledge of God's glory moves us to action. Knowledge and understanding of who God is in all of his glory, the king of glory, Knowledge of that moves us to action, but be certain that God will be glorified regardless of our actions because of who he is. Now you got to kind of wrap your mind around that. Think for a moment at a quick rendering, a quick reading of our own vision. Vision 2020, big one. This is what we do as a church, okay? We build relationships so that God is glorified. If you are, in a sense, perhaps walking through the door for the first time, you're like, well, if Big Woods doesn't build relationships, I guess God's not being glorified. Absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. God will be glorified regardless. We are given an opportunity to reflect his image, to show others his glory, to live a life that is completely different than every single kid in your streets. To live a life different. To pursue what? Holiness. To not laugh at the same garbage and smut that the rest of the world is laughing at. To be entertained through what? 
pure means of laughter of God's people being together and not having to bow before the, the slop of this world. You live life differently. That's what it means. We get to reflect his image. We get to be the called out ones and the redeemed church. And I want that. I want that. I want that for me. I want that for my family. I want that for all of us. I want that for this church. What does that mean? A number of years ago, we were on vacation in, in Cape May, New Jersey, and walked to the end of one of the streets right before the beach. There's a little stone wall, and on the stone wall was a bronze plaque. And on the bronze plaque, it says this, and I quote, on this exact spot in 1897, nothing happened. <laughs> I took a picture of it. That's like so cool, like the ultimate vacation spot. That's what you want. You know what? I, I find that a lot of our, our days were kind of like checking off, like, yeah, not a whole lot happened. Just mowed the grass. No, 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 no. You mow the grass to the glory of God. Do you realize that there is never a day, there's never one day as a redeemed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who gets to reflect his image, there's never a day where nothing happens. Yeah, I just had to make dinner for, for my, my family and the kids and, and clean up afterwards. Yeah, not a whole lot. No, no. You make dinner and you load the dishwasher or do dishes for the glory of God. You understand, that's the way that we, you get up every single day. God has gifted you his common grace with another day to breathe fresh air and your heart beats. You do everything for his glory. We look at some of the practical implications. Like what does that look like? First Peter chapter four, pick it up with me in verse seven. As we read down through verse 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him, to him and to him alone belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, Peter, Peter, Peter's writing. Peter, one of the closest ones, he's the inner circle with Jesus, spent a lot of time with Jesus. They, they ate meals together. They, they journeyed together. They would stroll along the beach together. They would wander their way through a garden together. They conversed constantly. When they got tired, they fell asleep and they leaned on one another. They were constantly with each other. So Peter is learning from the very best, from Jesus himself. And there's this idea that throughout the, the majority of Jesus' earthly ministry with Peter and the rest of the disciples, that there's this leisurely pace. It's, it's busy. We're continuing to accomplish, but there's certainly not a sense of urgency until the cross comes into sight. 
Until Jesus begins to what? Teach that there's a time coming and it's quick that I will be rejected. And all of a sudden, the tone, like the leisurely walks kind of along the beach or the strolls through the garden, they weren't, there was, there, was a, there was a tonal change of urgency. And, and Peter got this. And, and this is the tone that he says in verse 71, the end of all things is what? At hand. This is not a guy holding the message that's a doomsday. The end of the world is near. Like, just, just do whatever you want because... It's not a chronological end of time. It's a fulfillment. The word means a completion of God's perfect plan, which points to what? His return. Think about it. These words were written 2,000 years ago. We're 2,000 years closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I know that if Jesus doesn't come, then we're going to go. It's going to be one or the other. I was listening to someone preach this week and, and he was talking about the fact every single time I look at the dry skin on my right knuckle, I'm reminded I'm going to die. And there's this urgency that we live with. We have to understand Jesus is going to come or we are going to go. And so in that, he gives some very clear instruction. Number two point, it says what? Be calm in your prayers. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. See, what happens is that we become like Mr. Mouse. We race to like, oh no, where do I go? I got to find a really safe place. I got to find a place where nobody's ever going to find out. And I know if I just hide myself under this big, huge tire, everything's going to work out fine. Mr. Pancake Mouse. It didn't work like that. And we panic. Like life's really, really busy here and we got, like, we got appointments to make and we got bills to pay. We got kids graduating from high school and they're going to college and, and, and we didn't take time to pray. To, and everything's in chaos. And, so we, and what, does, what, what does Peter give instruction through inspiration of the Holy Spirit that you and I need to be doing? Be calm, be settled, be sober-minded, be serious and watchful, the New King James says. The NIV says, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Oh, in a world that lives, like, at any time I turn on the TV, like, who just blew themselves up and how many people are dead? You, you know it. I'm not the only one who turns on and be like, like what, what, what bus filled with children was just attacked? Like, that's our world. It's just chaos and it's terror. What happens is that we become panicked as opposed to, no, we need to be watchful. We need to be serious. James adds a little bit more detail. He says this in chapter one, verse six, let him ask in faith without doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Isn't that how many people live today? It's just like tossed and blown to and fro, like whatever comes down the pike, they believe that for a while. And then they change this and they worry about this and let's go on a diet over here and let's try this new plan to, to make our life healthier and happier and let's try to do... And it's just constantly blowing around. The way we bring glory to God is to realize what? There is the king of glory who orders and ordains everything. Keep your focus on him. How are you doing? May I ask this? Very important. How are you doing in your prayer life personally? 
bowl of golden grams. God is good. God is great. Yay, God. And just keep going with our day. No, no, no. It's not going to cut it. Dads, are you pulling your kids together? Are you bringing the kids together? Are you lingering after the meal? Oh, we don't have time to eat because we got all kinds of schedules. No, no, no. You will lose those kids apart from time together in prayer. Are you, are you purposely bringing them together? Husbands, are you holding your wife's hand at night for the very last thing that you do and you pray and you bring what you pour out your heart before the Lord? Are you doing that? How's your prayer life? How, how long has it been since you've had to wipe the dust off your knees before you walk into a meeting because you realize I've been on my knees for that long? Number two, become in your prayers. Number three, be faithful in your love. I love Peter's word choice here, his selection, his crafting personality as the Holy Spirit inspires. What above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all else, the word is propenton. It means more important. Yeah, there's really a lot of things that are of importance. The Phillies just dropped eight of 10. Can you believe that? No, no, no. Above anything else that happens in this world. What does it say? Keep loving one another earnestly. The word is fervent. It translates acting. It has this idea of an athlete that is straining the last couple steps before he breaks the tape at the end of a race. Do, do you love like that? Like straining to love or, or, or well, yeah, I, you know, I pretty much have to love her because like I got a ring on my finger here. Like that means I got to love. Well, that's cozy to snuggle up with at night, I can assure you. No, no, we, we, we love fervently. We love straining in towards one another. Above everything else. And it's interesting. I love the way that, that Peter is positive. Keep loving. Like you're, you're heading the right direction. Keep doing that. Above all. How are you doing? Uh, a guy by the name of Floyd McClung. Floyd. That's a tough handle on a playground, I'm guessing. Floyd wrote a book called this, and I would recommend it, Learning How to Love People That You Do Not Like. I have read it more than once. <laughs> Sorry. Because there's just what? Because, because, because I'm one of those people that people just don't like. Yeah, I know I got to love him because like he's there. I got to love him. No, no, but the Holy Spirit gives us, the, the Holy Spirit gives to us the ability, produces what is referred to as a fruit that is beautiful, that blossoms up and it begins with love. Like it just, I can't help, I can't help but just hold the door and say, hey, you go first. How, how was your day? How was your week? I've been praying for you. How's your family? How, how can I serve you? I know that you've had a tough couple weeks. It's what? Above everything else. Why? Because love covers a multitude 
of sins. We realize that when we truly love someone in that straining in kind of way, that yeah, they're going to say things or do things that are ignorant or rude, but because you truly love them. I had this great reminder just recently with one of our one of my brothers, one of our elders, and I said something just to, it was just it was just rude. It was the wrong tone. I did not intend for it to sound the way that it did, but it, it came off and my brother said that he was offended by my words. Rightfully so. But he said this, he goes, you know, Tim, he goes, I couldn't stay offended very long because I know you. I know your heart. And I love you. And, and see, how, see how all of a sudden we can work alongside of one another when it comes to uh, what? The church, great to be here on a Sunday. This is the church gathered. We are to be the church active from Monday all the way to Saturday. We have to get this down if we're going to build relationships so that God is glorified. God is going to be glorified regardless, but we get the opportunity to come alongside and reflect his image. Fourthly and finally, how else can we... Glorify God all the time. Be accurate in your speech. Choose your words carefully. Bambi who says, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. My Bambi voice is a little off. Sorry about that. Look at what, what, what Peter writes in verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. I love this word, oracles. It just kind of makes us sound a little bit more intelligent because we don't normally use the word oracles. Well, what is, what is if you're to speak, you're to use the oracles. It literally translates the very words of God, which means that when I say something, it's not supposed to be what my words, like we've got a lot. There's tens of thousands of words a week that each of you are speaking. Tens of thousands of words. And we are to say words that only, that only are words that God would use. Well, how in the world are we going to figure out what God would say unless we become students of his word to us? I heard a joke somewhere recently where some guy was praying. The Bible was sitting three feet away from him and the guy was praying that God would speak to him. (laughs) Guess what? Open your eyes, grab the Bible, read it, and God will speak to you. Like, it's not going to be written in the clouds, in the sky. God has a word for you. This is how we learn to speak when you become a student of his words. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, I have a really strong opinion I would like to share. (laughs) Really? Take a number and go stand at the end of that really long line back there. That, that's in a sense. Yeah, but, but I have an observation I think could be really, really valuable right here. <laughs> uh, wait, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Is that what God's evaluation observation is? See, we have all kinds of what? Yeah, I'd like to give some instruction on this matter. I have a little direction to offer. Wait, wait a minute. Who died and made you the king of glory? No. He is the king of glory. 
We know him. We listen to him. We submit to him. We surrender to him. This is, this is where the rub happens in church. This is why people stop coming to church. Because when you come to church, you're going to hear about, guess what? You don't get your, like, your choice. You don't get to live however you want to live. Not if you're going to be a submissive follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to surrender your life. Romans 12 says that you're going to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That means you, you are giving up your plans. Yeah, but I have a really busy schedule this week. I'm sorry. Who, did, did, did the king of glory give you that schedule? That's the focus of everything that we do, of everything that we are to say. You understand that it is this word that lives and endures forever. Everything else passes away. Now, I'm not saying, please don't hear me, that you have nothing to offer. As a matter of fact, if Peter's all over this. It even talks about whoever serves. Okay, let, let, let him serve one another as good steward of God's very grace. Whoever speaks, which means you are supposed to be serving, you are supposed to be speaking. You, you have responsibility. It doesn't mean that you get to go sit in a corner because, well, I can't do it like God would do it, so I'm not going to do anything. No, that's not it. God's gifted you in amazing ways. God's gifted many of us. Take the little tiny gifts that God has given and be faithful exercising that in everything that we do, in everything that we speak. And look, look, how, look how it is summarized. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. This is not your doing. This is the king of glory doing in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. God is most glorified when you understand first and foremost who he is. He is everything. He made it all. He spoke everything into existence from nothing. He calls the shots. The world and everything in it and everyone in it is his. You recognize, first and foremost, who he is. Secondly, you recognize what he has done for us. He has offered to what? He's offered to us himself in the form of what? His son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect, sinless life and was completely crushed. We'll get a picture of that in just a minute. But he was crushed and he bore the full weight of his father's wrath on that cross, but he didn't stay dead. He what? He rose again three days later so that when you and I come, we can have faith in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can trust the price that was paid and by his grace, we are granted new life, which allows us to do what? Others. Notice how much emphasis here in, in glorifying God and doing everything to the glory is about other people. It's about speaking to others. It's about serving others. It's about praying for others. And when you are constantly concerned about others, you're not as concerned about your own self. That's the way that God is glorified. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, as grace extends to more and more people. And that is our goal. We're building relationships so that God is glorified. As grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. 
May we never lose sight. May we never become ungrateful for the gift of grace that God has given to us by offering his own son. Now, because there's the fear of us, what, in our busy little lives of forgetting this and neglecting this and pushing this to the side, we are literally instructed as a church when we gather together, just do in remembrance of me. Do this, do this until I come again. And it was a simple little object lesson, but it's a powerful object lesson. We remember things when we see them. Jesus was sitting with those disciples, Peter close to him, the one who just gave us the instructions. Jesus took some bread and he, he showed it to the disciples. It's even in aroma. When you take a piece of fresh bread, that's the aroma. That's what we are to be. Christ took bread and he broke it. And, he, and as he broke it, he, he tore it in pieces. And he said, this is a picture of my body that's going to be torn. It's going to be broken. That's exactly what happened. His body was ripped to shreds. He was whipped scourged and beat and punched. He was spit at, spit on. He was mocked, stripped naked. Every bit of horrible, horrible humiliation happened to his body. He said, my body's going to be broken. It's going to be broken for you. Jesus also took the fruit of the vine. He took some wine and he poured it out into a cup. And as he poured it, he, he said, You can smell the aroma. He said, this is a picture of my blood that is going to be poured out. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Without this being shed, we can't be washed. Our hearts would remain forever black as opposed to be white as snow, it says, forgiven. What a joy. Every single one of us have received forgiveness at one point from something we've said or done. We've offended someone. And when they say you're forgiven, what a delight that is. Think about when Jesus cried out on the cross, it's finished. Every sin that you have ever done. And and there's some sins represented in this room and certainly in this heart. We would want no one to see, no one to ever know. Every sin that we've ever committed, every sin that we will ever commit, Jesus cried out, it's finished, it's over, it's forgiven. I love you, trust me. I trust that you have done that. I trust that you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that you desire to follow him in obedience. That you run to the Lord of glory. He has given to us the greatest gift. My fear is, is that we forget what Jesus has done. We usually take the third uh, Sunday of, of every month. Today, it, it got, this month, it just got bumped a week later. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful that as we focus on the glory of God, that we have an image and a picture of why he is so glorious. The elders are going to come. My brother's going to come. And they're going to serve you um, just as an act and a sign that they love you. They're going to serve you the bread first. I'll ask the blessing on both the bread and the cup. 
and then they'll serve you the cup. We will partake of that together and then just sing a hymn. Just sing together. Two of the Gospels talk about them singing after the first Lord's table. And then we will be dismissed.